You know, there are silent nights, and then there are silent nights. And what I mean is that there are good silent nights, delightful, wonderful silent nights, and then there are silent nights that feel fraught with terror. Can you picture in your own life a really wonderful silent night? I, I think of the year that we got a new puppy in the heart of winter, and that year it happened to snow those big, deep snows, the kind that blanket the earth so that you cannot tell where the sidewalk and the street stop and start. And I remember that winter I would take our new puppy out and I would just walk in the moonlight in the middle of the street watching her fresh white fur with her black and, and brown spots just bouncing through the snow. And it was so silent as we would go out at almost midnight. She was still house training, of course. Or maybe you've gone into a baby's room just to check and see, is she still breathing? And you lean over the crib and you get right down close to her and you can hear her breath, and it's such a, such a wonderful silent night. But sometimes silence scares us. You know, that ominous silence of a hospital corridor at 3 a.m., only the occasional beep of a heart monitor, only the sounds of loved ones worrying, only the sound of nurses charting. Or what about that silence Maybe you've had this one where you wake up in the middle of the night and you realize that your teenager has missed curfew and all you want to hear is a car motor pulling into the driveway or a key clicking in the back door, but nothing but silence. It's such an icky silence, that silence. And then there are times when we're not quite sure if the silence is wonderful or if it's terrible. I love the way the novel Snow Child begins. It starts the opening sentence of the novel, Mabel had known that there would be silence. Mabel and her husband had moved to the wilderness of Alaska because they wanted to escape the sounds of children's laughter, of children's playing, because after having a stillborn child and realizing that they would never have a child of their own, they needed to go. They went to Alaska and Mabel had hoped that all those sounds, those sounds of failure and regret would be left behind. And in their place, she would savor the silence. But now she's in this wilderness cabin and the silence provides too much sound. She can hear the sound of her broom sweeping the wood floor. She can hear the sound of the dishes clanging as she washes them. She can hear the sound of the bird calling outside her window and the silence haunts her because in that silence, she can hear the pain that is still there in her own heart. The Christian contemplative Thomas Keating said that silence is the language God speaks and everything else is a bad translation. But sometimes we wonder, we wonder if God is really still speaking. We wonder if God's change, God's promise, God's peace is ever really going to come because we read the headlines and we hear the noisy cacophony of pain and destruction in our world and we fear that change isn't on the way. And then we avoid the silence of our own hearts because we hear there in the deafening silence 
that we too are stuck and maybe even our lives are not about to dramatically change. Back in college, I was exposed to the great American novelist Willa Cather. I loved her novels, but only recently did I come across Willa Cather's short story called The Burglar's Christmas. The main character, William, 24 years old, has already failed at everything. He finds himself on Christmas Eve alone and hungry and desperate on the streets of Chicago. There on Christmas Eve, he begins to reflect back on the promise that his life really did hold when he was in college. And he remembers the family back east that equipped him for such success. And yet now he seems to be at what is certainly life's dead end. He turns to stealing, even on Christmas Eve. He breaks into a home where a Christmas party is taking place. He sneaks upstairs into the master bedroom and he begins pocketing jewelry and silver. And as he does so, he realizes that some of those bracelets look kind of familiar. And then he unrolls one of those felt bags and inside he pulls out a silver cup and it has something engraved on it and it's his name. This is the very cup that he drank from as a child. And about that time, a woman in an evening gown walks in through the dark shadows, and he realizes now he's been caught. But the woman moves towards him as if she's about to give him a kiss. Willie, she says. Willie, is it you? We'd waited so long, I thought you were never going to come. I almost gave up on you. Willie steps back. He resists his mother's embrace. He is shocked to realize that his parents have moved and this is their new home. For a moment, they stand there in the silence. Willie and his mom. And then Willie says, I wonder, I wonder if you know how much you pardon. Much or little, what does it matter, says his mother. Have you wandered so far and paid such a bitter price for knowledge that you have not yet learned that love has nothing to do with pardon and forgiveness? It only loves and loves and loves. And at the end of the story, Willie stands there pondering, wondering if this could be the moment when his life will actually change if the author of the universe could actually take his life as it, if it was a piece of clay and mold him into something new. Maybe all of us have had a moment when we wondered if even our lives might be made new, might be transformed, or we've wondered if the world around us could actually change. The story that Luke tells of Christmas begins with shepherds scared out of their wits. The shepherds were keeping their flocks by night, and you know what that means. That's code for they were just returning a whole bunch of emails and writing those year-end reports that the boss wants. These shepherds are not like the wise ones. They're not on a spiritual quest. They're not searching to find spiritual wholeness. They're not reading self-help books. They're not following the stars. They're just doing their thing. 
The shepherds were, you know, driving carpool and doing laundry and picking up Panera because it was so late at the end of the day, who had time for cooking? They're not on a quest looking for life to change. But then suddenly in the silence of the night, the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And the angel said, be not afraid. Be not afraid. There's this big light right here and angels are speaking to us. What do you mean, be not afraid? This uninvited voice from heaven speaks. And all of a sudden, the shepherds begin packing up their backpacks and their briefcase, and they say, Siri, take us to Bethlehem, quickest route. (laughs) And they go and they find Mary and Joseph lying with their baby there in the manger. And it is the shepherds who speak to Mary and Joseph and tell them that this is not an ordinary baby. This means the world is about to change. In the silence of the night, there with Mary and Joseph and the baby, those skeptical shepherds are themselves changed. They go back home to the same routines, but they go back as new people. The fear that they once held has been replaced with joy, for God's holy intrusion has made them into new people. Their humdrum lives are now filled with God's holy delight. The poet Rilke writes, you have not grown old and it is not too late to dive into your increasing depths where life calmly gives out its own secret. Could it be that it is not too late for you and for me to also be transformed? This transition from fear to joy is also captured in a song we sing every year on Christmas Eve. Shepherds quake at thy sight. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Something about this song, Silent Night, it seems to have captured all of humanity. Both Bing Crosby and Beyonce have recorded it. And Crosby's recording of this Silent Night was the third best-selling album of all time. Even the origin of this song, Silent Night, captures our human longing to become new. 200 years ago this night, the song, Silent Night, was first sung at a Christmas mass in a tiny Austrian village called Obendorf. They sang it right before the nativity scene. The priest of that little village had already written the lyrics. And he contacted a friend of his, a composer, and asked him if he would set these lyrics to a tune that they could sing on Christmas Eve. And it needed to be on guitar because the church organ had fallen into disrepair. Some say that some mice had gotten into the church and climbed up into the pipes and eaten away the leather the bellows that pushed the air through the organ pipes, and no one could imagine having Christmas without music. And so they solved the problem by creating this new song. 
the lullaby is comforting and we can now scarcely imagine gathering on Christmas Eve and not singing it. Because whether the silent night is something wonderful or something that terrifies us, no matter the nature of the silence, in the midst of that silence, God can draw near to us and we can become new. In 1914, when two million soldiers had already perished in World War I, the troops were dug into the trenches and the trenches were so close to the enemy trenches that you could hear the shouts from one trench to the next. Movies and magazines have recounted the true story that happened on Christmas Eve. But I love the way Dave Burchard tells it. He said that on December 24th, in the middle of a freezing battlefield in Flanders, France, British troops noticed that the German troops were lifting candlelit Christmas trees up out of the trenches. A British soldier wrote, from the German parapet, a rich baritone voice had begun to sing a song, and it was a song that I remembered my German nurse singing to me. The grave and tender voice rose out of the frozen mist. It was all so strange, like being in another world to which one had come through a nightmare. The song, Stille Nacht, Silent Night, was sung first by the German soldiers, and the British troops responded with an English carol, the first Noel. A carol sing broke forth, a ceasefire was held for one day. Some folks say that they even came up out of the trenches and began playing soccer with one another and exchanging gifts of whiskey and beer and plum pudding. And that Christmas Day truce stretched 500 miles and encompassed almost 100,000 men. You know, the superiors they were not happy to hear about the truce on Christmas. For how can you celebrate the love of God one day and kill the next? Sometimes the silence changes us. I remember spending an entire night in an intensive care unit with a family member I loved dearly. All of us, six of us in the room, and more of us in the waiting room, all of us held vigil that night, worrying about whether or not she would wake up, and if she did wake up, if she would be healthy again. Each moment of that night seemed to last an entire hour. Somewhere around three in the morning, an angel appeared. Not the kind with wings, but the kind that comes only from God. For I realized that night that there was a family member in that room who loved our sick relative as deeply and as passionately as I did. And I had been holding a grudge against this relative for decades. Oh, let me tell you, he deserved it. Don't get me wrong. But this grudge was not helping me nor anyone else. And I realized that night I didn't need to carry it any longer. 
because the only thing that mattered was that we both loved the same person and we desperately wanted her to wake up and have a joyful, healthy life once again. And so in an instant, my heart released the anger and the pain and something new, something called peace was born on a silent night.